0: From Bayside Church International, Victor Harbour, this is Chad Mansbridge.
1: It is great to have you in our house. For those of you who are visiting with us, if you've never been here before, a big welcome. Please stay for tea and coffee if you like afterwards. And particularly if you've never been to church before, I understand week after week, uh, it is uh, common for us to have people who have never stepped into a church building. And we know that that takes great bravery to do that. And so well done and uh, a big thank you for for being here. I trust that you believe today has been a good investment of your time. I want to take you back a few years. Twelve and a half years, the summer of 2004-05. To those uh, to whom it is relevant, 2005 was the year of the rooster. You all remember that, I'm sure. You do? So that's right. John Howard was our PM. Port power held the flag. Oh, they did, they did. Petrol was often less than a dollar a litre. Yay! Don't get me started on electricity prices. Facebook, YouTube, mobile internet, and the iPhone were yet to touch our lives. Yay! Our two teenage kids looked like this. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. No, they are our two teenage kids. At the week before Christmas in 2004, the summer of 2004, we had a baby dedication service which looked something like this. (laughs) How many of you were around when we had the flags at Encounter Centre? How many of you have been around since those days? Do you remember Encounter Centre? This is Carol and Craig dedicating... Who's that? Fourteen. Mahalia. There you go, and uh, Scott and Lisa are over there. And somewhere in the crowd that day, as I was looking through old photos, I found a photo of a few very good-looking girls that looked like this. Now, not everyone will remember or will notice those faces, but that is Kylie, Rufus and her, at that time only two kids, including Zoe. And Ryan and Kylie are here this morning. They are long-time friends of ours that were actually part of our church for about six months back in this summer, just before they left for Hong Kong. And uh, gave their the best part of, the, well, not the best part of their life, the best part of their last 12 and a half years to supporting Rob and Glenda in Hong Kong. Today, their family looks a little bit more like this, although uh, number one, Chloe, is 19 now. Renee. Renee, sorry. Renee's 18 or 19? 18. So she's actually uh, stayed back behind in Hong Kong. But Ryan and Kylie have just relocated to Australia. They haven't moved back here, they have moved forward here. And uh, until further notice, we might see a little bit uh, of them around. So uh, why don't you just welcome Ryan and Kylie and thank them for being here today. Great to see you guys. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, what else did I have on the next slide? Because I thought of something just before. Oh, that's also right. This week's also Happy New Financial Year, which is actually, I want to be a little bit specific on that because on friday it was the last day of the financial year and i was spent quite a bit of time that day praying for those of you in business and i feel like i have something of a word for you it's going to sound like a riddle but i feel like so it's so just amuse, amuse me but uh i feel like it's it's uh, important and i actually want to pray for those in business today so if you consider yourself in the business of being in business you might own a business, you might be a pioneering a business, or maybe you're an employee, but you're uh, in such a, you're in a, like a managerial role, or if I say the term, in business, you go, yep, that's me, I want in on this today. I feel it would be great for us to pray for you this morning as you launch into a new financial year. I think this was stirred in my mind over the week as I was remembering some of the really great stories we've had in the last financial quarter for a number of people here in our church that have received employment. Hands up how many of you have got good jobs in the last three months. Kimberly, great story. John, Aaron. Yeah, put your hands together because they're all God's stories in there. And I was also reminded because two weeks ago, and and possibly not all of you have noticed this, I'm sure those of you who serve in the kitchen and particularly those of you who volunteer in our cleaning team, would notice that we have a brand new floor in our kitchen and we didn't pay for that. We have Christian landlords who own this facility who of their own heart, because they believe in kingdom and believe in blessing this church and actually want us and enjoy us being here, have of their own volition invested and continue to invest in this property. And so our landlords, who are kingdom business people, they own a business but they realise it's actually God's business. God's business. And so they have a kingdom mindset when it comes to running their business. They invest into us. And I just wanted to say big, just how appreciative we are as a whole church family to our landlords and to have people who have a kingdom business mindset who can invest beyond themselves and, and invest in the kingdom. And I think that also got me started thinking about business people this week. So if you're in business... If you are in the business of being in business, why don't you stand and I want to share something with you and then we're going to pray for you together. If you're in business, stand to your feet and we want to honour and thank you and bless you today. Come on. Do you see the spread of ages here? Isn't that exciting? I don't want to sound too riddly, but this is what I was praying for you this week. I think today, and what I pray for you this financial year is that you will have the wisdom to walk in the ebb and flow of when to hold tight and when to let go. And some of you are at a period right now in your business where you need to hold tight because this is my business, these are my clients. This is my profit and loss statement. This is my vision. This is my values and I'm in charge of this thing and we're going to do it my way. Some of you I feel like you're in a stage where you need to hold tight. But there's ebbs and flows. Sometimes we hold tight and sometimes we need to let go. And for some of you today, you're in a season where you're not sure, quite sure what to do and you've got a sense that God is saying, actually, you know what? You've just got to hold back, let go and watch what I do for you because it is not your business. Those are not your clients. It is not your profit and loss statement. It is not your responsibility. It is my responsibility. So frozen, let it go. And it's a little bit like doing weights at the gym. There's times where you have to hold on to that thing tight and you work it and it's building you strong and you've got to grip tight. Is that right? Yeah. But you can only add weight to that bar when you let go, have a rest, and the blessing comes to take you to the next level. To walk in the ebb and flow of knowing when to hold tight and when to let go. And I want to pray that God would speak to you this morning, hopefully on one of those things, and that will resonate to you, and we want to bless your businesses this morning. All right? Donaldson, some of you come. Rachel, why don't you pray for us? And uh, why don't wherever you are around this place, just if you can put your hand on someone's shoulder. Why don't you stand with these guys? Come on, look. put Put a hand on the shoulder do want you bless them, gather around them, or if you're not close enough, just extend your hand towards them and let's bless these businesses. And uh, we're not wishing them a happy financial year. We are blessing them with a prosperous financial new year, okay? Let's do that.
0: Yeah, God, we just declare abundance above abundance above abundance over their businesses this year, that you give them wisdom, beyond understanding, Father, that they will know exactly what they need to do. You'll give them strategies and tools to increase, to do the things that they need to do, God. Yeah, Father, we just pray favour above favour, that they'll have more than they need. They won't know what to do with the abundance, God. They won't know what to do with everything that you've given them. God, we just release strategies we release mm. ways to increase ways to grow ways to expand god we give um divine appointments god with mm. people that they need to meet with father that there'll be so many god testimonies in the next financial year yeah mm. thank you god
1: come on you agree with that give it a hearty yes and amen come on <clears throat> awesome thanks so much well done guys You know, maybe we should do this regularly. You know, we celebrate mums on Mother's Day once a year. We celebrate fathers once a year. We celebrate kids every day. You and I know that. Um, Maybe we should actually make a habit of celebrating and honouring those in business. That would be a great idea. But bless you guys. Have a great financial year. Joan, it's really good to see you today. Really good to see you. And is this Alice? Alice is moving to America. Where are you going, darling? UK. UK. When do you leave? Okay. Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray protection and provision and prosperity over Alice as she goes to the UK. We pray that this would be a rich and rewarding time. You would speak to her, lead her and guide her and give her great friends and good connections in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. Amen. Well done, darling. Good stuff. Enjoy. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Next stage and phase. We are closing off a preaching series we've been in the midst of for seven weeks since Mother's Day uh, on or through kind of the book of Exodus. As I said last week, it's been more of a preaching series than a teaching series. If we were to look at a real teaching aspect of the book of Exodus, we would have taken a very uh, or would have focused on different aspects. I love the depth. That is in the story of the book of Exodus, particularly when it comes to what the New Testament would call the types and shadows prefiguring what Jesus would do in the first century and beyond. But we haven't actually looked at many of those things at all. We're looking at some of the other major themes in the book of Exodus where God invites his people on an adventure in glory and grace. How many of you love that word adventure? Come on, the story of Exodus is a story of an adventure! It doesn't end up good, but that's okay, because we can still learn from that, all right? We learn from good examples in life, and we learn from bad examples in life. You've got good parents, you can learn from them. You've got bad parents, you can learn from that example. No matter what history gives us, or God gives us, or whatever, we we can learn from all examples. And this story of Exodus is there for us to learn from. Because Romans 15, verse 4, we've quoted a number of times through this series, haven't we, Rob? And it says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance and the encouragement that the scripture provides, we can have hope. The Old Testament stories, they might be ancient stories of thousands of years ago in a whole other part of the world with a whole different type of group of people that might seem far removed from our situation today. But those stories are not irrelevant. Those stories are recorded there for our benefit and it does good, it bodes well for us to learn from them. So we need to devour the book. Genesis to Revelation, everything in between, it is all good. Amen? So we're doing a series on Exodus. It is a story of adventure and adventures in glory and grace. We started with Mother's Day where we looked at the women in Moses' life. We, We talked about Moses being saved by the... Bell. The next week, we looked at Moses and Aaron and talked about their mission from God. Moses, a man with a mission. The following week, we looked at Moses' cry where he says, Lord, show me your ways. And we looked at some of the ways of God that Moses learnt in his journey with God that we see throughout the book of Exodus. In week three, Rob was preaching about the Red Sea and speaking to us about not losing your nerve. The next week, we went back to the burning bush and Jay spoke about encounters of glory, glorious encounters with God. Last, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about leadership lessons. Yes, that's what you're meant to do, remember? When I say that, you're meant to be like, yes, that's exciting. That's a topic we all like. Yeah. You're learning. You're learning. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Leadership lessons. Last week, Rob was talking about identity on I am who he says I am. I love that title. In fact, I've got a a feeling our preaching team next term, we're going to do a whole series on identity. Uh, Who we are in Christ, or who we are because of Christ. I am, God says, I am who I am. And we are also to say, I am who he says I am. To know our identity, we are chosen, we are loved, we are called, what I think is what Rob was uh, speaking on last week. Today we're closing it off, and I have... Was originally we we're going to call today's message "Possessing Your Promises." Possessing your promises, and I was going to look at the ABCs of possessing your promises, which I will do today anyway. But I thought possessing your promises sounded a little Christianese. So today I want to talk about claiming your prize. Come on. Claiming your prize. Come on, you can be a little bit more excited than that. I think you know. I mean, after all, what good is it to have a winning ticket if you don't step forward and claim your prize? Charlie would have never seen the chocolate factory had he have kept that ticket at home with grandma and grandpa and grandma and grandpa, okay? He had to take that winning ticket and claim his prize. What good is it having some distant, dead, rich relative die and not going to the solicitor's office and saying, here's my BSB and account number, thank you very much. I want to take what has been given to me. What good is it to have all the promised blessings of God and yet not lay claim to what Christ has purchased for us? Alex shared before a dream he had on Friday night, he was, he was uh, standing before a grass hedge and he had a desire in his heart to see over the hedge. Lord, show me. Show me beyond. Show me what's, what's over that hedge. It's blocking my view. I feel constrained. Set, show me what's on the other side. And God didn't show him. What God showed him was that next to him was a whippersnapper. And just to the left, there was a big hole in the fence. And then next to him, there was a ladder. And then next to that, there was a drone with a camera on it. And then next to that, there was a nice big gap in the fence. Okay? So, what God showed him, he didn't show him over the fence. He said, No, 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 I've given you the equipment to go over there yourself, mate. Okay? So, God has capacitated, given us, the scripture says, He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Okay? He's given us everything we need. Your toolbox is full. But what good is it to have a full toolbox if you never put your hand in there and get those things working to see what God has promised you come about in your life? So we want to talk about claiming your prize today. Because you're all winners. Look under your seat. We're going to Australia. No, I'm just kidding. It's an Oprah Winfrey joke. God, come on, darling, come on. That's, that's right. We're talking 10 years ago. We remember being the, the early noughties. The whole story of Exodus and God rescuing his people from Egypt was first of all to bring them to himself. The whole point God released God's, his people from slavery in Egypt was number one to bring them to himself because when they came to a mountain. Called Sinai, God says, I've carried you on eagle's wings to bring you to me. That's first priority. Before they were to go to the promised land, as good as that is, I'll get there in a moment, they were first to come to the promised God's first priority was to bring them to himself and then second to that, having met with him, having, having the opportunity at least, it didn't all go to plan, but having the opportunity at least to know him intimately and face to face, voice to voice, they were then to venture on into a promised experience, an engagement, an ongoing encounter with a kingdom way of living, a lifestyle of abundance, of milk and honey, a lifestyle of empowering, where all the nations would look at God's people and see how good God was. Evangelism, us being a witness to the nature of God, did not start with the Christians in the first century. It's always been God's intent that his people, the people of Israel, were to testify, were to be a testimony to the nations of the nature of God. And you see this very clearly when Solomon in the Promised Land ends up building a temple and he says, Lord, the whole, one of the main reasons we're doing this is so that nations will come and see how darn good you are. And they will see how good the God of Israel is and they too will worship you okay? Isaiah talks about the people of Israel being a light to the nations. So it's always been God's intent, Old Testament, New Testament, that his people would demonstrate who he is. That's what Melchizedek, the very first royal priest we see in the scripture, that's what his job was to do. He came to Abram and he said, this is what God is like. God is for you. God is on your side. God has given your enemies into your hand. This is what God is like, okay? And that is our job. As royal priests, that has always been the job of God's people to reveal what is like. So our job is to be in right relationship with Him, and is to reveal Him to other people, and in, in His true nature. That has always been God's intent. The story of Exodus is a story of protection. It is a story of provision. Every day, thank you, Leanne. Manna every day, provision, and it is a story of promise of a great and glorious future. It is the story of rescue. It is the story of relationship. It is the story of resourcing. And it is the story of release into a big, wide, spacious place. Yeah, come on. I love the term spacious place. Yeah. I lived on a farm a couple of years ago. It was really nice just to have a spacious place. Come back from four weeks in the Philippines. We appreciate the kids having their own bedrooms. Spacious place. (laughs) Live in Hong Kong for 12 years. Come back. (gasps) Spacious place. And David brings this up. One of the things that the psalmists often do, and prophets are really well known for this, um, uh, is they sing out of their own experience, but they use the motifs of Old Testament history. So when David writes in uh, Psalm 16, which is quoted a lot in the New Testament, he's writing about his own experience, but he's also writing about the Exodus story, and he's sort of doing the two together and this often happens with the prophets. it's a very Hebrew thing to do they 're writing out of their own experience, but they're using the language of their history to do it. Paul the Apostle does a similar thing in Romans seven, a bit of a controversial chapter for some, when he's talking about "I'm a slave to sin," etc cetera, etc, cetera. and what he's doing he's personifying himself as God's God the story of history of God's people. So he's putting himself in that position to speak on their behalf. And that's what David and a lot of the prophets do. So I say that to say this. David says this in this great Psalm in Psalm sixteen. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He's singing that of himself when he was having problems with, with uh, people trying to take his kingdom away. He's having, singing about himself, but he's also singing it in regards to the story of the, the exodus and God's people. You have given us a pleasant place. This is what we've learned about you all through history. You bring us to a pleasant place. You've made my lot secure. What God has given to you, no one can take away. No one has the right to take away. God makes your lot secure and God has given you a pleasant place. God wants you to live in a pleasant place. He goes on to say in the next Psalm, Psalm 18, says that similar phrase where he says, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the nature of God, to give us pleasant places, to bring us into a spacious place and I am of the strong opinion that God wants us to live a lifestyle of spaciousness and pleasantness in a kingdom experience. He's not only rescued us to bring us to relationship, he has resourced us that he may release us into an ever experiential engagement with a spacious place and a pleasant place and we are to live a lifestyle, that sort of kingdom lifestyle. Does that make any sense? The, 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 The... the promised land of Canaan does not represent heaven to us. It's not God, get us out of Egypt, we'll spend our life in the desert, but don't worry, one day we'll get to heaven. No, God has rescued us from Satan. He's providing for our needs and our job is to live maturely on this planet in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so I So there's, there's some old hymns and Negro spirituals, I think, if you're still able to say that, that talk about Canaan, the promised land, being one day we'll get to heaven. That is not a good picture. Canaan is the place we are called to live now. It is a place of spaciousness. It is pleasant. There is milk and honey. And the reality is, wherever there is milk and honey, there are bulls and bees. Wherever there is milk, there is bulls. Wherever there is honey, there are bees. So there are challenges in the promised land, But our goal or or our calling is to press on, to claim that prize and to live there despite the challenges that may confront us. My point is this. Like Israel, God has rescued us from slavery to sin to bring us out of the dominion of darkness and into covenant relationship with himself. Rescue to relationship and all this is by his grace which is what Passover meal is all about. We, the Hebrew people were supposed to every year do Passover to remember we didn't deserve that. Flippin' heck, God is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Flippin' heck's in the Hebrew. You've just got to, yeah, you've got to know Hebrew, really. It's there. So, but as they would have Passover, they were meant to remember God was so good to us. We did nothing to deserve it. It was all of his grace. That's why they were celebrating. Wine, lamb roast, all the good things in life. But now, having encountered his presence and received his daily provision, we are to press on to explore and establish ourselves in a land of promise. So Paul says, I press on to take hold of everything for which Christ has taken hold of me. I know God has taken hold of me. Look how he saved me from sin oh my goodness, he's so good, he's taken hold of me and from that secure position I press on to lay hold of everything that he has placed before me. It's one thing to be entitled to a prize, it's another thing to claim it. And the sad story of the Exodus generation that we can learn from, so it's still a good story, but the sad story of the Exodus generation is that they were giving a winning ticket but they failed to lay claim to it They failed to claim their prize and to experience and enjoy what they were entitled to. And the book of Hebrews particularly warns the first century Christians and says, learn from that lesson. Don't be like those that have the winning ticket, that have been set up for a win and yet fail fail to walk in the goodness that God has purchased for you. So if you are at all interested in being one of those people that experiences what God has made available to you in Christ... This message is for you today. Are you ready? I want to talk about the ABCs of claiming your prize. Okay, it's me. It's very Chad, all right? A, we're going to acknowledge God's grace. B, we believe in his word. And C, we confess and cooperate Consistently. <laughs> ABCs are claiming your prize. A, acknowledge God's grace. That's going to be my main point today because it's something that's very alive in me and something that I would love you to grasp because many of you, you need to get that before you move on to B and C. Acknowledge God's grace, believe in his word and confess and cooperate with what he has said. That's where we're going. John You enjoy Three Point Sermon, that's for you. Let's go. One of the lessons that we learn from the Exodus generation is this. The less they acknowledged God's grace, the less they had faith to enter the Promised Land. The The less they acknowledged God's grace the harder their hearts became so that when the seed of God's word, the promised word, came into their heart, it found no good soil and there was no faith for that seed to bear fruit. Do you remember Jesus' most famous parable, the most important parable you ever need to hear? If you don't get this one, you're not going to understand all the others. A seed may come to the heart of men, but if that heart is hard, it's not going to produce the fruit it's supposed to produce. One of the lessons we learn from the Exodus generation is that the less they acknowledged God's grace, the harder their hearts became. So when God's promise was given to them, it found no soil to go into and therefore produced nothing in their life. And the solution to that bad lesson is to be a people who acknowledge God's grace. I want to read Psalm 97. This is a famous passage because it's quoted by the Hebrew authors at least three or four times. Verse 7. Verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah that day at Massah in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me (laughs) with bumbies running around them. (laughs) Where your fathers tested and tried me so they had seen what I did. Before we move on, this is talking about something that happened in Exodus 17. Meribah and Massa. they've just come out of the Red Sea. They've, they're almost at Mount Sinai. They've just come out and at this story in Exodus 17, they start to harden their hearts. Next verse. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation and I said there are people whose hearts go astray They've not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Two stories here in these verses. The first is referring to Exodus 17, where the people began to harden their hearts at Meribah and Massah. The second is a year later, in Numbers 13, 14, where the spies are sent into Canaan, 10 come back with a bad report, and God says, that's it, you're not going into the promised land now. You're right on the border, I want you to go in, I've been telling you for years, you're going to get there, for years, for months, you're going to get there, but that's it, none of you are going to go in. And the first century writers of Hebrews say, learn the lesson from these people. I'm going to say this again. They hardened their hearts in Exodus 17, And a year later, God said, your hearts are so hard now, there's no faith for you to enter the promised land, that's it. You're not going to inherit what you're actually entitled to. There is a year between these stories. Think about it. Time, on its own, is no guarantee that people will grow in their faith in God. Time in and of itself is no guarantee that people will mature in their spiritual life. These people, between this instance and that one, there was a year. You would think that after 12 months of walking with God, providing for them every day, of following a pillar by fire and a cloud by a pillar of fire and a cloud, of having God move supernaturally in their midst of hearing the word of God, of having God's presence, God's provision and God's principles in writing. They had it all. Wouldn't you think that in this year they would be more strong in faith now that they've experienced God for longer? Because back here, they'd only known God for a couple of weeks, still getting to know him. We actually, you know, Moses is sort of telling us we've got this second-hand relationship with God going, surely in a year's time I'll be more mature. Surely in a year's time, my heart will be more prepared so when God says something, I'll be like, yeah, God, I trust you. But the very opposite happened with them. The longer they walked with God, the harder their hearts became. The longer they walked with God, the worse their faith became. What the heck is that? Come back next week. What happened in this 12-month period is significant. In this 12-month period, yes, while they knew God, they had his presence, they had his provision, they had his principles, as it were, but they still had no faith to possess possess the promised land. Their hearts, as it were, were getting so hard, harder and harder. What they'd embraced in this 12-month period was a system of worship that was introduced to them at Mount Sinai, a system of worship that was designed to focus their attention less and less on God's goodness and more and more on their sinfulness. They embraced a system of worship, the Levitical system of worship, where constantly they were bringing guilt offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings. The book of Hebrews says these things were designed to be a reminder of how sinful they were, a reminder of how bad they were. A reminder of how much we fall short, we fall short, we've stuffed up, we're not doing good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not doing enough, not gooder, not better, need to be better, need to be gooder. They've embraced a system of worship like this and so their focus is on their performance far more than it is on God's ability to perform. Their focus is getting more on their goodness, how good I've been this week. I haven't been that good this week so I need to bring this big an offering at least I'm better than that guy, only, you know, <laughs> his, his offering's got to be much bigger. Their focus in this system of worship was all, about, was all about focusing on their goodness and not focusing on God's goodness. There's a word for that and it's called religion. Not a, not a fan, take it or leave it, that's, that's just how it works. They embraced a the system of worship that made them co- more conscious of their own guilt than God's goodness. And so even though they had a relationship with God for a year, they were actually in a worse position when they came to the book of Numbers and were about to go in. Their hearts had gotten harder. The solution to that problem is the very opposite. It's to acknowledge God's grace. Colossians 1.6 shows us this. And God spoke to me years ago about this as being the, the key to being a person with a fertile heart. The key to having good soil in your heart is to acknowledge God's grace. Paul writes to the Colossians and says all over this world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it's been doing among you ever since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Do you see the picture there of the seed sown into soil? God's word is bearing fruit in your life because the seed came to you. You heard it, but you didn't only hear the word. You understood God's grace, so that word found good soil. The word, therefore, understood God's grace doesn't mean to intellectually understand. It means to acknowledge. It means to recognise God's goodness. It means to recognise God's greatness. Okay? So there's no point God promising things to you if you, have a, if you don't trust his nature. Otherwise, God's just another politician. It doesn't matter what they say, you don't trust them, okay? Some of you. Uh, You don't trust them because you've learned over over the time they're not good and they're not able to do what they say anyway, so I don't trust their character. It doesn't matter what promises come, I'm not going to believe it. Some people have that approach to God. If they don't believe he's good, if they don't believe he is able to do anything, it doesn't matter how many promises he gives, it's a hard soil there. And after a year of being conscious of how bad of their own effort of how good I am and how sinful I am and bad I am and how guilty I am, when God finally sows the seed to them and says, "Now this, now's the time to go in, their hearts were so hard, they were not conscious of how good God was. Yeah. They were not conscious of how great God is. Yeah. Because that's what his grace is. Grace is both God's willingness and ability to do good to you. Yeah. Yeah. Grace is both God's pleasure and his power. Okay? Grace says God is both loving and He is strong. So Psalm sixty two says, one thing God has spoken, but I've heard two things. One thing is spoken, but two things I've heard that you are God are loving, that you are God are strong. When God says grace, we hear God is loving. And when God says grace, we hear God is able. He is willing and able. He has pleasure over you and he has power to perform what he has said he wants to do. The key to a fertile heart is to acknowledge his grace. That God is both willing and able. So when he promises something, your heart is ready to go, that must be true. It's not too good to be true. No, God is so good, I accept that. Because I already believe God is good. And it sounds impossible, but I already accept God is great. God is good. And God is great. This is why the angel, when he came to Mary, a virgin, Christmas time, and said, and and sowed a seed into her heart, an impossible promise. You're a virgin, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be God's kid. (laughs) Okay? It's impossible. Impossible. But he didn't just come to her and speak a promise. The first thing that angel did was he said, Mary, God favours you. God is good. God has pleasure over you. God is kind. God really loves you. What have I done for him? Nothing. I'm not here to just talk about your attitude. I'm not here to talk about your behaviour. I want you to know God favours you. Wow, God is good. The last thing the angel says to her is, nothing is impossible with God. Between declaring God's goodness to her and declaring God's greatness to do whatever the heck he says, in between these two bookends was the promise, the seed sown to her heart of an impossible promise. But her heart was ready for it. Because she had acknowledged God's grace. God's good to me, and God is able to do whatever he says. God is good, and God is able. This is acknowledging his grace. And so in Matthew chapter 8, when a Jewish leper with a skin problem comes to Jesus, he knows Jesus is able to heal him. He comes to Jesus and he says, I know you're able to heal me. but I'm not quite sure if you're willing. I, I know you're great and you have power to do it, but I'm not too sure you're good and you actually want to do it. And so he says, if you want to, I know you can. And Jesus sealed the deal and he said, I am willing. I am both willing willing. And I am able, acknowledging God's grace, that word, be clean, was sown into that man and he reaped the harvest of that immediately. So that the very next story in Matthew 8, a Roman man comes to Jesus and says, I know you're good and I know you're great. All you need to do is say the word and it's going to be done. And Jesus looked at that man and said, My goodness, I've not seen faith like this in the, amongst all my own people. You've got a faith that I've never seen even among my own because that man, the centurion soldier, did not question his goodness, did not question his greatness. He just said, I'm here to ask you, please speak because I know you can do it and I know you want to do it. Here's the situation, please speak into it for me. And that man had such great faith. You see, that man, there's only two people in the scriptures that are described as having great faith. Great faith. And both of them are not Hebrew people. Both of them were not religious people. Both of them did not grow up with this system of worship where every day, every week, every month, they went to worship and they were understood that God is angry with me, that I'm guilty, that I'm sinful, I've done bad, that's my focus. I I, I know he's powerful, but I'm not quite sure if I've been good enough to get anything from him. The two people that had great faith in the Gospels A woman who was a Canaanite and a man who was a Roman, neither of them were Jewish because neither of them had this grid of understanding. They came to Jesus knowing you want to and they came to Jesus knowing you're able to because the law, this covenant system, nullifies faith. So when God's people entered into this system of worship, over time they hardened their hearts in Exodus to begin with but over that year, their hearts just got harder and harder and harder because their focus was less and less on how good God is and less and less how great God is to perform on our behalf. Their focus was about how good I am and about my ability to perform. So by the time they get to numbers, God says, let's go, boys, we're in, I've given it to you, Promise land time, go! And they say, no, nah. we are useless We're pathetic, we're like a group of little grasshoppers, we're not good enough for this, we're out. And so the book of Hebrews says they had no faith to combine with that promise. Some of you, some of us, one of the reasons we've stopped maturing in our Christian walk, one of the reasons we are less passionate about God today than we were four years ago, is because of that very thing. It's not because you're not doing enough. No, you were doing more maybe years ago because you were more aware of God's goodness and grace. And maybe the reason that you've slowed down in your passion is because you've stopped being in awe of how good God is to undeserving people. It's one of the reasons that our church services start with worship and praise. Not just the preacher getting up here and sowing words. No, we're allowing time for our hearts to be prepared as we sing that God loves us and we sing that God is strong. God is great and God is good and it's got nothing to do with us. It's just because that's who he is. And so that worship, that praise, part of the reason we do it first is to prepare our hearts that seed to be sown in. Does that make any sense to you? Is that is that? Do you sort of hear that? Do you understand that? So the book of writer of Hebrews says, "Don't harden your hearts like that generation, but it is good for your hearts to be strengthened by grace." He says in Hebrews three, and in Second Peter chapter one, Peter writes and he said, "There's some of you that have failed to mature." Two Peter one, some of you are failing to add to your goodness, knowledge, and brotherly kindness, and love, and perseverance, and kindness. He says, those who fail to add these qualities to their faith, they become ineffective and unproductive in their Christian life. You've walked with God longer, but you're becoming less effective and less productive. Okay, it doesn't make sense. But he says why. He says, the reason you're failing to grow, the reason you're not adding these qualities to your life in ever-increasing measure, is because you've forgotten that God has cleansed you of your sin. You've forgotten how flippant awesome the gospel is. You've forgotten the, 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 the extent that God went to to have you as his own. You've forgotten the wonder of his generosity expressed to you at Calvary. You've, ex- you've forgotten how gracious he was to you because often we come into the relationship with God and we're told God loves you unconditionally and then once you're in, there's a whole bunch of conditions. Hello, religion. Okay? No, no, no. God loves you unconditionally as much today as he did when you were in your worst state before you, before you came to him. Okay? God's love for you is the same. He is always good. And he is always great. And if you want to have a heart that is ready to say yes to his promises, then you need to acknowledge that grace. And I'd really like to impress that upon you more but it's a big deal. ABC of claiming your prize. Acknowledge God's grace. Do you understand that? B. Believe his word. I'll be quicker on these two. Don't worry. Believe his word. So much has been said about this in our our sort of history that I can probably be quicker on this, but God's word at Sinai to the Exodus generation was actually very clear. Exodus 23, he tells them what he's going to do. I'll just read it quickly. Verse 20. He says, see, I want you to see what God's saying, what God's promising to do. I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you to the place I've prepared. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Ammonites, Hivites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites and Jebusites and I will wipe those enemies out, verse 27. I will send my terror ahead of you. I'll throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I'll make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I'll send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites and Hittites out of your way but I won't do, do so in a single year because the land will become desolate and wild animals too numerous for you so I'll do it little by little. I'll drive them out before you little by little until you've increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the sea to the Mediterranean and from the desert to the Euphrates. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I will do this, I will do this, and you will do this. We'll do it together. Done. What a great promise. I will do this. And by the way, I'll do it in this timing because I know you can handle that better. I know you want it all now. Bunch of instant give it to me now, people. I go, I know you want it all now, but I'm not going to give it to you all now because you're not already. Slowly but uh, surely, you will claim that prize that's ahead of you. But don't worry, I have got it sorted and we will do it together. And famously, this generation did not take God at his word. They did not, Hebrews says, combine that message with faith. So like the parable of the sower, that that seed came and it was instantly rejected. No, not for us. The answer, of course, is to receive what God says. Like Mary, Virgin Mary, treasure that word in our heart. When God speaks something to you, get to your point, Chad. When God speaks something to you, when he gives you a promise... A, acknowledge God's grace. God, you are good. You are willing to do something for me I don't deserve because you are good. God, you are great. You are able to do whatever the heck you say. I acknowledge your pleasure. I acknowledge your power. And I hear your word and I believe, yes, that is for me. Acknowledge his grace. Believe his Word like the centurion soldier to say, just say it and that'll be it for me. I'll take what you say. Acknowledging God's grace, that by his nature he is great and willing, good and great, and believing his word, that no matter how audacious it may seem or large the obstacles may be, I say, yes, Lord. Because all God's promises are yes in Christ. God wants to give you all his promises. He's given you a promised land and our job is to... Believe, and then to see, confess, and to say, Amen. So be it. A, B, C. Acknowledge his grace, believe that word, and confess what he says to you. Can you handle one more point? Book of Numbers. When God said, they'll never enter my rest, he sends the spies into Canaan, their first tour. Okay, They come back, and the challenge that they met when they got back had everything to do with their words. Because 10 of them came back and said, it's good, but we can't. It's too hard. The giants are too big. This is impossible. It can't happen. I don't care what God says. It ain't going to happen. Let's go home, Jack. Two guys said, we can do it. God has called us. We are able. There are challenges. We're not living in a fairy land. We do know there's obstacles, but I know God is able and I know we can do it. And unfortunately, the battle of the words went to the, uh, the negative people in that story because their hearts were so hard. So the battle of the words swung. And as you read there in, verse, in, in chapter 13 and 14, it gets to the point where Caleb actually silences the people and needs to say, shut your mouth. Stop speaking for a moment. Because all that they were saying was how impossible the situation was for them. All that they were saying was negative and Caleb had to get up and it says he silenced the people. But they kept talking and it says they raised their voices, they grumbled, they talked about stoning Moses and they said to each other, let's hire a new leader and let's go back to the way that things they were. And 40 years later, God draws on this story with the whole next generation because he wants to teach them. It's not just enough to have the word of God in your heart. He said that word is to be on your mouth. Deuteronomy 30 verse 12, something like that. He says the word of God is so near, now that you've received it in your heart, I want it to be also in your mouth. The word in your heart, the word in your mouth. You've believed it, now confess it. And in the first century, Paul the Apostle quotes this verse when his writings to Christians. And he says, We proclaim to you a word of faith. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and your heart. It's the word of faith we're proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth his Lord, believing in your heart he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are declared justified. And it's with your mouth that you will confess and receive salvation. As the scripture says, those who trust in him will not be put to shame. There's no difference, no matter what culture, gender, socioeconomic background you come from. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. He is the God who blesses and he is the God who is Lord. Acknowledge his grace, believe his word and confess it out of your mouth. I don't know everyone here today. But for some of you, you may not even have or believe you have a relationship with God. And again, I commend you for being here because that's really courageous. (laughs) That's great you're here. But this is how most all of us started our relationship with God. We experience something of of the fact that God is good And loving Some of you, even this morning, I just felt like God was warming you up with a heavenly hug. He was just embracing you today. There's a sense of which I feel safe. I'm not sure what this presence is, but I feel safe. That's God saying, I love you. God is good and God is great. He has the power to do what he says he can do. We acknowledge that grace. We believe the word he's given to us. And the word I want to encourage you to believe today is this. The gospel is the good news that the person of Jesus makes it possible for all people, no matter who you are. So we just read then, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what your cultural background. The person of Jesus makes it possible for all people to participate in his presence, a relationship with him, and to participate in his presence, provision the resourcing of god is available to you and this applies both for now and for all eternity the person of jesus guarantees us a life beyond this planet and eternal life eternal life is a quality of life that we experience now but it's a spiritual thing that takes place in our heart where we enter into a life beyond this planet and beyond this body and we will live it forever in eternal heavenly bliss with him. Jesus makes that possible. And the promise of eternal life is for you. Amen. It is possible because Jesus died on a cross Amen. and has made forgiveness of sin available to you that you can enter into a standing, right standing relationship with a holy God knowing that he counts nothing against you. That's a pretty good place to be. And many of us here in this room except know what that is. We've acknowledged God's grace. We believe what is promised for us. You trust in Jesus, eternal life is yours. See, we say it with our mouth. Jesus is Lord. So as we just read, believe in my heart. He's died for us. And I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. All of us start our Christian walk like that. But I believe those same principles apply as we progress in our Christian walk, no matter what God says to you. God promises things for your business. God promises things for your kids. God promises things for a ministry or whatever calling you have. Acknowledge his grace. Believe that is true for you. And let your mouth say the good word. Amen? One of the best ways, or one of the ways that God wanted his people in Exodus to constantly remember his grace, to remember how good and great he is, that he is willing and able, okay? Pleasure and power, all those things. One of the ways he wanted God's people to always acknowledge his grace was to have a regular meal time together where they would remember how good and gracious he was when they didn't deserve it. It was called Passover. And Jesus used that Passover meal and says, as you're remembering how good and great God is, I want you to now do it and remember me. Because ultimately, I am the expression of how good God is and I am the expression of how great God is. So I want you to have break bread together, I want you to drink wine together, and I want you to do it and remember what I did for you at Calvary, what I've done for you at the cross. So we're going to do that this morning together. Alright? We're going to provide an opportunity us to acknowledge God's grace. Perhaps today God will remind you of some of the promises he's spoken to you and out of your own mouth you will confess truth that will build you up in your faith. You okay with that? Yes. What we're going to do, because I have gone on a little bit long, don't tell anyone. Looking at the mums in the toddler room. Hi. Rather than breaking up into groups today, why don't you come grab a glass and some bread? If you're a married couple, you're really close to the person sitting next to you, you, you may share a glass. Uh, it looks like we're probably... Actually, it looks like we've got enough to all have one. So maybe, maybe just one of you, if you're a couple, come forward so it's nice and quick, and then head back to your seats, all right? And we're going to have communion together. Why don't you get off your seats and do that now? Come forward, come to the wine barrels, grab some communion. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.